The University of Florida College of Medicine is accredited by the Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education, ACCME, to provide continuing medical education for physicians. The University of Florida College of Medicine designates this enduring material for a maximum of 0.25 AMA PRA Category 1 credit. Physicians should claim only the credit commensurate with the extent of their participation in this activity. This is UF Health Med EdCast with UF Health Shands Hospital. I'm Melanie Cole, and today we're discussing treating non-alcoholic fatty liver disease in patients with type 2 diabetes. We're going to cover how fatty liver impacts the care of every patient with obesity, type 2 diabetes, and cardiovascular disease. We're going to discuss how to identify and incorporate into patient care the latest information on the diagnosis and treatment of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease and the latest advances in medicational developments coming in 2020. Joining me is Dr. Kenneth Cousy. He's a professor and chief of the Division of Endocrinology, Diabetes, and Metabolism in the Department of Medicine at the University of Florida, and he practices at UF Health Shands Hospital. Dr. Cousy, it is a pleasure to have you join us today. Tell us a little bit about non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. What's the incidence and burden of this disease? This is really the next frontier in the management of many patients who are overweight or have obesity or, or type 2 diabetes. We've not uh, identified this problem before because we didn't have the tools we have today. And we didn't understand that this is something that really applies to many, many patients we see in clinic. So asking what the prevalence is, is, is the key question uh, to know the magnitude of the problem. And the data is just emerging. Most recent studies suggest that about one out of four Americans may have a fatty liver. And uh, some groups are particularly affected, like in obesity, we think that it's more like one in two. And in type two diabetes, we think it's two out of three. So these are very common problems. And uh, just now we're beginning to see an epidemic of cirrhosis and the consequences of this. So interesting and obviously so prevalent. Dr. Cousy, when people have non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, tell us a little bit about comorbid conditions. You mentioned obesity and diabetes. Do these come together? Is there a causal relation between the two? Absolutely. That's a, that's a great question because the fundamental defect is insulin resistance. So uh, if you are overweight or obese, you don't have only uh, an increased uh, fat mass, but this adipose tissue is very dysfunctional, very abnormal. Uh, one of the things that it does, it releases fat from those cells, from the fat cells to other parts of the body. Today, we're talking about the liver. The liver is very ill-prepared to absorb this amount of fat coming from the bloodstream to the liver, and it begins accumulating fat, and it also makes more lipids than it has to because of insulin resistance. This triggers inflammation in the liver, uh, liver cell death, and in the end, a chronic state of inflammation that triggers what we technically call fibrosis. And again, over time, this is going to lead to cirrhosis and in some cases, even hepatocellular carcinoma. So diabetes and obesity share this bottom line problem of insulin resistance. The only difference between somebody with type 2 diabetes and somebody without diabetes, but that is equally overweight or obese, is the person with type 2 diabetes is unable to make enough insulin to compensate for this decreased response of the body to insulin. 
but they're both at a great risk of NASH, inflammation, and cirrhosis. So this is a key thing. The other observation has been cardiovascular disease. I mean, has, has this uh, been an issue that has been brought up to you by other providers? Well, it certainly has. And for other providers, as we're understanding how the fatty liver impacts the care of every patient with obesity, type 2 diabetes, and also related comorbid conditions of cardiovascular disease. So help us to understand if you are working with someone that has type 2 diabetes and is obese and where cardiovascular disease also contributes to NASH and to NAFLD. So what we think happens is that when you accumulate fat in the liver, just think of the liver and providers need to think of the liver as a mirror of your metabolic health. Whether you're lean, overweight, or obese, you if you accumulate fat in the liver, and there are lean patients that I have that are non-obese, and that means that you are insulin resistant. A big component can be just the genes you inherited from mom and dad, but a great part is the acquired component of obesity. So non-obese or even lean individuals with NASH have bad genes and their body adapts poorly to a state of insulin resistance because insulin resistance doesn't depend only on being obese. It's a genetic defect that we don't fully understand. But when you add obesity and lack of physical activity, you are exacerbating that background. So in other words, why does this link obesity, diabetes, and cardiovascular disease is because a number of metabolic abnormalities happen. Among them, for example, you tend to have this typical high triglyceride, low HDL, and increased small-dense LDL that is very well known to cause cardiovascular disease. It also exacerbates hypertension. It exacerbates chronic kidney disease. So there are many, many factors that have linked now the people that tend to have a high degree of cardiovascular risk tend to have more fat in the liver and more fatty liver and what we call steatohepatitis or NASH, which is when that fat is going to lead to inflammation and scarring or fibrosis of the liver. That is so interesting. And Dr. Kusi, please tell us the gold standard for diagnosing it. Help us to identify and help other providers incorporate into patient care the latest information on the diagnosis of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. This is the great dilemma the field has. We know it's out there, but we don't have a, a very good way to diagnose this as we have for, you know, dyslipidemia or an A1C4 diabetes. It's a more complex problem. That's why we've gone so far within 20 or 30 years of an epidemic of obesity and an epidemic of diabetes. And just now we're beginning to see a lot of people with cirrhosis and needing a liver transplant. It's just been under our radar because the way we tend to think that you had a problem in the liver is when your liver enzymes are up. But many times, I would say even half of the times, you still have a fatty liver and you can have significant NASH when you uh, have liver enzymes that are below the clinical cutoff of 40. So what do I mean with this? First, it's important that, again, people understand a distinction between fatty liver without inflammation it's called nephil, simple steatosis. And when this fat in the liver is associated with inflammation in the liver and fibrosis, that is NASH, non-alcoholic steatohepatitis. Of course, number one is a good history. You need to rule out alcohol abuse. You need to rule out other medications. You need to rule out other medical conditions that can be associated like hemochromatosis and, and others. So once you rule that out, now we're 
basically in a diagnosis of exclusion. How can we know that this elevated liver enzyme, which is the easiest way to diagnose, is associated with really NASH? So you could do an ultrasound to document that you have fatty liver, or there are some uh, techniques now that use elastography to see if there's fibrosis or scarring in the liver. Getting back to your question, if you're in the primary care setting, the low-hanging fruit is if you see anybody with liver enzymes, not above 40, just even when they're above 30 international units, that's when you have to begin thinking about a fatty liver. And this is what the American Diabetes Association came up in 2019 for the first time in the history of the ADA to begin thinking of this. So if you have a patient that has a diagnosis of steatosis because he had a CT scan or an MRI done for any reason, or elevated alanine aminotransferase or ALT, now you have to get to the second step. The second step is to answer if the patient has fibrosis because that's what's gonna cause cirrhosis. Is this more or less clear or a little bit confusing? No, it's absolutely clear. And based on what you're saying, Dr. Kusi, and given that strong association between non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, NASH, and cardiometabolic risk factors, how do you, for other providers, currently treat this? Tell us about some treatments, and is there now, as of now, a definitive pharmacologic therapy that's been approved for treatment? Tell us a little bit, and if not, what should it include? There are some imaging techniques to confirm that this person may have NASH. One is transient elastography, the most common used tool by liver doctors is fiber scan. There are others that are used too, uh, or MRI, but it's a more expensive thing. It's important because the treatment is very, very straightforward. If you lose weight by 5%, you begin melting down the fat. If you lose 8 to 10%, you can get rid in most of the patients of the inflammation and even of the fibrosis. And if that might take in some patients, anti-obesity medication might take um, the need of pediatric surgery, but weight loss is cornerstone. Now, there are no FDA-approved drugs, but there are medications, particularly used for diabetes, that can work now. There's a medication called pioglitazone, Actos, that's been approved now for about uh, almost 20 years that has shown in five randomized control trials to reduce by two-thirds the chance of NASH progressing, and it causes resolution of NASH in about half the patients. Now, pioglitazone also lowers the glucose, improves the lipids, and has shown in studies to reduce cardiovascular disease. So it's a good approach to treat both the diabetes and NASH, although it's not FDA approved for it. The other approaches are medications that help lose weight. For example, the group of drugs known as GLP-1 receptor agonist. Um, there are several out there. I mean, lidaglutide is the only one that has shown in a study to be effective in NASH. There are others that are being tested, but again, the benefit appears to be proportional to weight loss. And finally, in people without diabetes, vitamin E at doses of 800 units a day has shown to have some benefit. But still, these drugs are underutilized in part because we're not diagnosing the patient, in part because 
Doctors don't know that you can reverse NASH, and in part because people think that the side effects are too significant, but this is just a misconception. Still, many people think that pioglitazone is the same as rosiglitazone, but pioglitazone reduces cardiovascular risk. There was also some talk about causing bladder cancer, but now 18 of 23 studies have been negative, so it's, we believe it's pretty safe. We anyway do a urinalysis before starting. And then the weight gain is proportional to uh, the overall management. So if you start with 15 milligrams of pioglitazone per day, there's basically 1% weight gain at the most. And at the 30 milligram, which is the dose most uh, frequently that I use, the, the weight gain is 2 or 3%. Again, if you follow with a nutritionist in, in a multidisciplinary approach, weight gain can be mitigated. Absolutely. And thank you for clearing up some of those myths for other providers, Dr. Kusi, because yes, we hear certain things and drugs are questioned and recalled, but you cleared that up so beautifully for us. As we conclude, what's on the horizon for non-alcoholic fatty liver disease? Give us a blueprint for future research. What do you see happening in the next bunch of years? Well, we are doing a lot of research here at the UF Health Chance Hospital. Uh, we have an NIH sponsors unit. Um, there are about 50 new medications being in different stages of testing. We choose those that are, we think, the most um, most significant. So if providers want to reach out to me, uh, it would be nice if you can share my contact information. I'll be happy to explain. There are different kinds of drugs. Some are like newer versions of diabetes medications. For example, a newer version of a GLP-1 is called semaglutide, uh, which is used for diabetes. Now they have a NASH trial is going to be able to be published next year. There are drugs that are going to promote weight loss by different mechanisms. There are drugs that are trying to do what pioglitazone does without potentially weight gain or edema that may happen in about 5% of patients. There are drugs of a group called FXRs that work with nuclear receptors and decrease fibrosis. It's a broad spectrum of medication. But for the time being, what I want the providers to remember is they have to diagnose it early to prevent cirrhosis. They have to, to be more aggressive with lifestyle intervention. Typically, structured programs for weight loss work better. Consider bidetric surgery and use pioglitazone or lidaglutide or vitamin E because there are things you can do today until these new drugs become available. That is excellent information. Dr. Kusi. thank you so much for joining us and sharing your incredible expertise. And that concludes today's episode of UF Health Med EdCast with UF Health Shands Hospital. To learn more about this and other healthcare topics at UF Health Shands Hospital, please visit ufhealth.org slash medmatters to get connected with one of our providers. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and all the other UF Health Shands Hospital podcasts. For more health tips and updates on the latest medical advancements and breakthroughs, follow us on your social channels. I'm Melanie Cole.